0: I don't know if one of us is our earbuds but i got a little ring uh hey we're live this is the atheist experience today is november 4th 2018 which means in the united states we are two days away from midterm elections vote 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 your happy little asses off i want all of you to vote as long as you're voting for the people that i want to win um <laughs> uh, and that's just the way it's going to be so how you doing good i i'm Matt delani hosting but don baker has joined me here again good to be Woo! here as always. And. Uh, you have a topic to discuss. I do. But before we get to it, uh, there's some business to get out of the way. I have regular announcements and then I have a correction, an apology, an explanation, and a fuck you. Um, in, in that order. In that order. Uh, but quickly, the monthly newsletter for the a- Atheist Community of Austin has just gone out. It includes a, an article that Don wrote.
1: Yes. I got a, a little column that I'm adding that is uh, terms that atheists should be familiar with.
0: Cool. Uh, this, this program is sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin, a non educational organization promoting positive atheism and the separation of religion and government. You can find out more about the ACA at atheist dot communityorg but also hit up the social media outlets. That's where you're going to find the monthly newsletter, etc. Oh, and by the way, in two days you should go vote. Um, I'll re- remind you about that again. Uh, just don't vote for the people that I don't want to win. Um, I'm going to remind you of that again, too. If you'd like to know who I'd like to vote for, you can email me privately, and I will tell you how I would prefer that you vote, because this, uh, we won't do that on the show. <laughs> 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 So, uh, another special announcement today, right after the Atheist Experience, as we've done in previous weeks, we will be doing the, I guess, the second launch or the, the, the premiere launch something or other for Parenting Beyond Belief. And tonight it's going to be uh, Claire and Dale McGowan and Kendall Hopkins will all be on the show. It's a call-in show tonight. Uh, so as soon as we're done, right around six o'clock or so, Don and I will vanish from the studio and new people will come in for a new show about parenting, uh, something I highly recommend. The Atheist Community of Austin is doing a great job producing. More and more shows, not only atheist experience, and um, let's see, what are the others? Oh, who cares? We're here for the atheist. Experience. <laughs> oh no, no, atheist experience talk, heathen non godless bitches, parenting beyond belief, secular sexuality, uh, truth wanted, Mister Atheist, and uh, um, there's seventy-two more. I think right now, um, <laughs> I
1: can't keep track. Of that.
0: I don't, I don't know, but it's awesome because, as I mentioned before, we've moved beyond just having the sorts of you know arguments and in, in calling to addressing the whole person. It's, holy cow, one might say that the atheist community of Austin is becoming more humanist. Maybe so. Maybe. Putting the kind We have a lot of
1: articulate, intelligent folks that have something to say, and that's uh, all good stuff.
0: Yeah, and excited about all those efforts. But today, I have to start with uh, what happened on the show two weeks ago when I was on. Uh, And during the first caller, um, I made a factual mistake about the Bible. And I was a complete jackass about it, too. Uh, the, that never happens. The caller had meandered a bit and decided that he wanted to cite a Bible verse uh, to back up his claim. The Bible verse doesn't back up his claim even when you get it right. But it was, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. And I for some reason in my head said this guy's wrong about everything so he has to be wrong about this and so I corrected him that it wasn't the way the truth and the life I said it was the way the truth and the light and stressed it and then hung up on him and told him he needed to go study his bible well as it turns out I'm the one that needed to go study my bible so my apologies to him for he got that verse right Although, I don't think it affected the substance of the argument at all. It's not the end of the day. By the way, uh, it's not the first mistake I've made. It wasn't the first mistake I've made in that show. It won't be the only mistake I make. I'll probably make some today. Um, but, you know, try and acknowledge it. And when you've been a jackass, just say, you know, hey, I was a jackass. Now, uh, there was another caller a little later in the show uh, named Sam. And there were three people, at least, maybe four, who emailed to say that I, I just was completely... Uh, mean to Sam. Um, I disagree. I was certainly in an irritable mood, but when somebody calls in to basically tell you that you're doing it wrong and then they agree with you when you cite things like, you know, hey, you got it wrong on this, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then I read her the actual passage from Exodus and she agrees. But the big point that she started in on was this notion of why are you guys spending time on Hebrews 11:1 because it's an oxymoron. And all I did, if you go back and watch the call, is I started by saying, please explain to me how this is an oxymoron because I don't get that. And I was going to go from there to, even if it is an oxymoron, that doesn't change whether or not we should address it. Uh, but we never really got there because despite pointing out that this is the single most commonly referenced verse that Christians use to uh, talk about faith Uh, and so therefore we have to kind of address it it just wasn't going anywhere and I got uh, I got a little snotty I think it was mostly deserved perhaps not as deserved as other people did and so I will exercise uh, some caution then Um, but to the people who think that um, mistakes like that to the extent that they are mistakes um are destroying the atheist movement. Um, fuck you. Uh, everybody's going to make mistakes. And on a live show, especially when I've got multiple callers here, um, things happen a little differently than they do at the debate. I just posted yesterday, went live with two different debates, one with John Ferrer that I did on uh, morality a week or so ago at Texas A&M University. Uh, it all went well. Um, when you have interlocutors that care about the conversation, You can have a good conversation, and there are countless good calls. Not every call is good. And if you write in to tell me I was mean to somebody, and then your defense of them is that you think maybe that person was a little drunk and confused, well, don't call the damn show if you're drunk and confused because I'm not going to take it easy on you. When you tell me I'm factually wrong about something and I was right, I'm going to make sure that I point that out, just like – when I was factually wrong, um, I corrected that today too. So my apologies to the first caller, uh, a mild quasi-apology to the other caller who might, may, may, may or may not be biased.
1: We used to have a sign that said skepticism is a virtue, and yeah. I, I still like the sign. But uh, we, we meant that to apply to us too, yeah. and I make mistakes and – Screw up all the time. And We've
0: corrected <laughs> each other live on the air. I mean, yeah. it's a mistake's not the end of you the world. You more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the mistake's not the end of the world. The end of the world is is when you are so attached to your posi- position and your opinion of your position that you turn into a jackass, which I did during at the end of the first call. Uh, but the real problem is not correcting that. And so if that caller wants to call back in, um, I'll be just tell the call screener. We'll be happy to, to start over from scratch. And I will try to talk a little bit more about where we agree and where I disagree. Sounds good. I don't. I don't know that I have any other. Oh wait, vote uh, in two days. As long as you're not voting for people that I don't want to win. Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't yeah think it's right there. We had a very big atheist turnout the last the last election, and and that's kind of sad to me.
0: Uh, lastly, the um, the monthly speaker series is coming up, and you can find out more information about that on social media. I know Ra is the guest speaker this time, so uh, if he's making the trip down from Dallas, surely everybody in Texas. Well, maybe not El Paso, but everybody in, on this side of Texas uh, can make their way down to the speakers event. That is all I have, Don. Okay. I'm going to turn it over to you where you can tell us something important. We'll try to.
1: Today I wanted to talk about RIFRA, which is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And there are um, – there is a national one, a federal one, and there are various state ones. And the gist of them – the gist of the Texas one is it provides that a government agency may not substantially burden a person's free exercise of religion unless the government agency demonstrates that the application of the burden to the person is in furtherance of a compelling government interest and the least restrictive means of furthering that interest.
0: And so, uh, boy, that's worded in such a way that there could be loads and loads of arguments about what that means.
1: I I think so. Uh, I I personally think that these are terrible laws, really really bad, and and unfortunately they were bipartisan. They were started out as being, hey, uh, these guys want to smoke peyote for their you know Indian thing, you know, and we shouldn't we shouldn't interfere with that. And so they made this very broad law to address this very narrow problem. And all the states jumped on board and, and it, it seems to have a flavor of a, of a creeping religious uh, favoritism in, in my mind. And, and that's kind of what I want to address today. Uh, the Texas law supposedly has provisions to ensure that RIFRA can't be misused to disregard civil rights protections <coughs> against discrimination.
0: Uh, let's see. By the way, I, you maybe you might be the case that you're going to get to this. Um, the Riffer laws get used for all kinds of things, and I agree with you that it's this creeping religious privilege that we're seeing a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right up to people uh, refusing to fill prescriptions and things like that on religious grounds. Yeah, that's very scary. But isn't this also perpetuating a cycle? The language that you just read about protected classes, because Riffer's law, now we have to go around and add more and more protected classes so that they are not getting trampled all over by riffra, And then when we add more protected classes, that affects other things. So there's a cascade effect to these things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It end, y- yes, that's, that's exactly right. It, and and, and uh, the, the folks suing, which is kind of the, the point I want to get to uh, here in Austin, uh, they are looking to have various other laws amended so that they get special privilege under this riffra law. Yeah um so yeah it's, it's kind of a yeah creeping thing that that uh, just keeps going and uh, my my problem with this is it tends to put religious belief over what the government would normally do and uh, we've had precedents like the hobby lobby decision where uh, they have sort of said, well, it's not the government's place to decide what's a valid religious belief or whether it, you know, whatever. And it doesn't have to be a core belief. It doesn't have to be written down. It can be pretty much any wackadoodle thing you, you want to believe. And now the government has to kowtow and, and, and work around that.
0: There's, there's an interesting point in there. Um, I, ha- I had an argument with uh, a lawyer uh, who was working for American Atheists at the time because I thought I found a way um, that we could tax the churches. Okay. Because if uh, – the, the statement that you just talked about, about the government shouldn't be in the position of, of defining what is a religion and what is not a religion. And yet that is absolutely what has to happen. If the government is going to determine that religions are tax-exempt, the government then has to define what religions are for that purpose. Or at least make
1: the decision on a one-by-one, case-by-case basis to give tax exemptions, right?
0: But we need we need some sort of criteria. Right. And what that does is that means that now, if you have a, have a thing that you think is a religion that you think should get a tax-exempt status, you now have to essentially petition the government and prove that you're a religion. When we wanted um, property tax exemptions for the ACA or something different, uh, there were other organizations, other religious organizations in Austin who had fought for that before. I remember the Buddhist temple had to basically prove that they should qualify as a religion. Right. And part of the problem with that is that there are a lot of Buddhists who say that it's not a religion. It's it's a philosophy. Well, a lot
1: of atheists <laughs> (laughs) Very uncomfortable with that idea too.
0: Yeah, and so that means that the government has to be in this position of defining religion, and now there's there's an unavoidable entanglement between religion and government.
1: Oh yes, oh absolutely, and I think there's a more insidious part of it that really shows up here with the Rifra is that you have to be relatively well off to be able to hire lawyers and and work the legal system in order to get this this benefit. And uh, that folks that are kind of a fledgling or new or or have fringe beliefs, they don't have those resources, and so it tends to emphasize the folks that can you know suck the money out of the out of the pews and, and uh, you know use it for whatever they want, and and so that's another problem too. It's a, kind of subtle. Well. Uh, this last month, there were two lawsuits, uh, one from a, a group called Texas Values and another group called the U.S. Pastors Council. Both of them are really Texas groups that are nonprofit evangelical groups, and they're suing under RFRA to actively discriminate against gays and transgender people, specifically uh, specifically saying the Federal Rights Act doesn't uh, – Civil Rights Act doesn't apply to people who have religious beliefs. And in particular, they're going after an Austin City ordinance, City Council ordinance that protects uh, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer folks from employment discrimination. And the claims that these folks are making uh, are really sort of saying, well, if you're a Christian business, whatever that means, you you don't have to hire these folks and you need to have a special exemption from from." from that. It's, it's not just, you know, the religious, the churches wanting an exemption for themselves. They're sort of trying to, to cast a wider net. And that's one of the creeping aspects of, of this. And these are the same two groups that, uh, along with, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Greg, Greg Abbott in the last legislative session were pushing for the bathroom bills to make sure that people had the right, uh, the right parts or the right, uh, uh birth certificate. Uh, in public bathrooms and it's, it was just a silly thing and I, I think it's gonna come back unfortunately. So, so let me give you a couple quotes from these, uh, these lawsuits just so you get a flavor of what they look like. Uh, neither of these two exemptions accommodates employers that operate in accordance with the sincerely herald religious beliefs that homosexual and transgender behavior is immoral. Nor does either of these two exemptions accommodate employers who for reasons of sincere religious belief refuse to Refuse to hire practicing homosexual or transgendered people, uh, refuse to extend spousal benefits to same sex partners or spouses of employees, or refuse to open their sex specific restrooms to members of the opposite biological sex. So that's one quote. Um, the city of Austin's anti-discrimination laws violate the Texas Fr- Religious Freedom Restoration Act by refusing to exempt individuals and corporate entities from the uh, that object to homosexual behavior and transsexual transgender behavior for sincere religious religion reasons. Uh here's here's a good one. Because these member churches rely on the Bible rather than modern-day cultural fads for religious and moral guidance, they will not hire practicing homosexuals or transgendered people as clergy. Um, so this was the uh, pastor's council lawsuit. Um they also don't want to have. Uh, they also want to make sure that women don't have a role over uh, any authority over a man in their in their organizations and and so on. It kind of creeps and creeps. Um, so they want to substantially expand religious rights by having new every new statute carved out, uh, having specific exemptions for their beliefs. And uh, it seems that Christianity at its core is about power and grabbing more of it. Um, and. You'd have to look long and hard to find uh, all, uh, basis for these, uh, r- bathroom things in the Bible. You know, it's not like Jesus spent all of his time worrying about bathrooms and which ones they were using. And <clears throat> a lot of this really pisses me off in the sense that so much of this is giving deference to religion. And the religious belief is pretty much any wackadoodle thing that anybody ever thought of. So clearly, atheists should get in the act. And I'm here today to assert that atheists have religious beliefs too. And yeah, they happen to be more sensible in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, than the, than the, those of the theists. And I wanted to say what some of my religious beliefs are and that uh, I may be filing something under the RFRA just to just to – Perfect. Poke an eye or two. Tell us. Okay. Uh, my, my sincere religious belief is that religions are mostly con games that deserve no respect or public consideration. There should not be a tax exemption just for believing in unjustified nonsense. Uh, worshiping an invisible mass murder is a proven pathway to evil. These are my beliefs. Uh, churches that engage in harm to others should be financially penalized and not cuddled. Um. Churches should be sub- subject to all the same laws as any other organization. For example, if you are running a child molestation crime ring, you should be shut down under the RICO laws. <laughs> uh, religious daycare organizations should be subject to the same laws that protect the children in secular daycare so that so that the those other children get the same protection. Amen. Preach. Um, uh, while nonprofit status may be appropriate for some churches who are doing good, good works, they should file 10, uh, 990 forms like other, all other nonprofits. Hallelujah. Okay. The, the word God should be removed from money, anthems, mottos, public monuments, and government in general. And this is, uh, you know, deference to religion. Uh, finally, while I'm against slavery, I strongly believe that taking Christian demagogues as slaves is entirely appropriate. And here's why. Seems like the natural use of a demagogue. (laughs) Uh, It serves as an object lesson for those that want to restore iron age beliefs and use them as weapons. So uh, if you want to, you know, if you want to live by that Bible, that's fine. Uh, As a slave, their money can be turned into secular, valid secular purposes. So I'm going to get their money too, as as my slaves. Their bodies can be parted out to save innocent lives. Uh, later they can have their sex changed so that they will forever be persecuted as they have done to others. Uh, and when they return back to their communities, if so, uh, if, if sold to the next atheist, they can clean toilets or whatever good might come out of the rest of their existence. So I, I see no problems with, I see no civil rights issue here because they want to be judged by their, they want to be, have the Bible as their moral code and and uh, slavery is certainly supported in the Bible, and it's supported by Texas. Did you know that? Because we have a monument sitting on the Capitol grounds. Yes. It supports uh, manservants and maidservants. Anyway, uh, so evangelical pastors, please bring it on! Uh, us atheists, we're going to start uh, asserting our li- our rights and through these ill-thought-out laws, and we will scare the bejesus out of them. Maybe it's a late Halloween thing, I don't know. Um and uh, I'm sure that Christians will be terrified of
0: the religious beliefs of atheists. Probably. Okay. You know who they're going to be more terrified of? Who's that? Satanists. <laughs> Satanists are your best friends, people. Yeah, Satanists maybe. working towards, you know, because uh, rather than, you know, something Don comes up with or me inventing my own religion and having to go down that fight, um, Satanists are actually already out there and actively working to oppose riffer stuff, and, and boy, I tell you what it's amazing the results they give because if a church wants to come in and hand out you know Bible tracts at a school and the Satanists show up to hand out their tracts, all of a sudden nobody's allowed to hand out tracts, <laughs> yeah. which is the way it should be. Yep uh, hey, none of us get to go do that. They, they've done a lot of good through through their yeah. you know I need to promote their crazy crazy shit <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Satanist, but I will promote them left and right right. So, yeah. All right. On that front, uh, let's take some
1: calls. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. take some
0: calls. As a reminder, this is a live program sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin. The numbers up at the bottom of your screen. All of our lines are full right now, uh, but we'll do what we can to get through, uh, as many calls as we, as we can today. We have David in Queensland. How are you? Oh,
2: hi. Really well. Thanks, Matt. Hey, How you? how's yourself?
0: I'm not too bad.
2: Uh, say hi to Don as well. Thanks Well, Hi uh, well, you can say hi to him. You're on you with got both of for us, us. <laughs> Of course
0: so did you did you have something for us?
2: Um, yes well uh, i've I've rung in because um, I'm a benevolent or if you like a uh, a controversy theist and uh, I just thought that that might have uh, been of interest to you. So
0: you believe in a God that's benevolent?
2: Yes, that's that's correct. And I also believe that at this time, um, benevolent God or a God who is love, that there is a great controversy over whether this is true or not.
0: Well, I'll agree with you that there's a controversy because I, I don't see any evidence for any God benevolent or otherwise. Right. Um, what would lead you to you think know, that not only does God exist, but he's benevolent and and how benevolent?
2: well um I think that uh, you you really shouldn't be able to put a limit on benevolence um like if you I think say, you should be
0: able to put a lower limit on benevolence if your idea of benevolence is to allow people to enslave others and to sit around and do nothing while people are uh, molested and suffering um I don't know that you can consider yourself benevolent in any respect at all, but you know. Like, Well, I'm, I'm reminded immediately of the problem of
1: evil, right? Yeah. Where, 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 where does evil come from if, if you've got a presumably all-powerful God that, that knows everything and is benevolent?
0: Yeah, this is why I'm asking how benevolent. It's not like – I, I would agree there's no upper limit on benevolence.
2: Yes, and and I like the uh, question about the the problem of evil. And uh, I think that benevolence has to be something that is willing to be shared with everyone. Everyone has the opportunity of being benevolent or loving. And uh, if if I understand correctly, um, love cannot occur unless you have the freedom to do so. I mean, you should be able to free to love.
0: I I don't think that that's true.
2: So um, what do you think would be necessary for love to occur?
0: A brain. Right. So love is just the outworking of intellect only or just emotions? Well, if you're going to divide it between intellect and emotions, it's, it's both of them. But, you know, I don't choose who I fall in love with. And so the notion of freedom has, I don't see any grounds for that at all. But... Setting aside—see, this is one of the things that that frustrates me, is that you you call in to say that you believe in a benevolent God, and then we end up talking about love. Um, I'm looking for what reason one would have to think that there is, in fact, a benevolent
2: God. Well, um, I believe that uh, we can go down maybe the same track
0: that Sir Isaac Newton— used for believing in the bible and that would be prophecy okay so now now we're not talking about a benevolent god at all but now you want to talk about a biblical god
2: well i believe the biblical god is a benevolent god okay well i don't yeah
0: (laughs) not only do i not think he exists i don't think the character as represented is fairly considered to be benevolent in any sense and also what isaac newton has to say about it is irrelevant
1: it, it might be a starting point for discussion, but it's,
0: it's not. So, so the thing is, if I become convinced of something, I want it to be for good reasons, for arguments supported by evidence, not for appealing to let me name a smart person who was monumentally wrong on many things, including alchemy, and uh, we'll go down that route. I don't care what Isaac Newton says. I don't care what Albert Einstein says. I, what I care about is what is the argument and what is the evidence that supports the argument? And now, if you believe there's a benevolent God, you must have a reason. And if your reason is nothing other than uh, you you have special notions about love and you heard something from Isaac Newton, uh, you're never going to make any headway here.
2: Okay, um, fair enough. Well, I believe that... Uh, I believe because of the prophecies found in both Daniel and Revelation and uh, how they have been coming true, I believe, supports the idea that God exists, who knows the future.
0: And and I don't. And the problem with prophecy is that in order for prophecy to be impactful at all, it needs to be specific and answerable by a clear, not interpreted set of circumstances – So you can't go to Daniel or Revelation, both of which sound like the ravings of madmen, and say, this says this, and I'm going to interpret it this way, and look, it seems to have come to pass. Because there's a number of problems. If I order a medium or a steak and I get a medium or a steak, the waiter's not fulfilling prophecy. If there are people actively working to bring around a state of Israel, then any prophecies about a state of Israel have nothing to do with you know seeing the future. But at the end of the day, let's imagine— That in Daniel, there was a clear prophecy. X will happen. And it was clearly uh, answered by a specific circumstance. That there's no ambiguity, no interpretation. Now you have a prediction and a prediction that, that has actually come to pass. We don't have that. But if we had that, what conclusion could we reach about the person who wrote that prediction
2: down? Um. Well, we could believe either they're, they're, they're pretty lucky or they're pretty good at predicting the future or they they know the future. But if I may.
0: But a there's a lot of other point. options as well. But how do you tell the how do you tell which of those is correct? Did they actually have four? you? See, you can't even get to a point where you could demonstrate that they had foreknowledge of the future. But let's let's I'll, get, I'll go a step further. Let's say that you've done all the work to show that the author of Daniel actually had foreknowledge of the of the future. He didn't get lucky. But he knew what was going to happen, and it came to pass. How did he know?
2: Well, I mean, that is a, that is a difficult question. Um,
0: and but you, you are convinced uh, that you have answered it. You are convinced that not only is there a prediction that has come true, but evidently it should meet the, 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 the standards by which you know we would consider it valid, and that the reason this guy knew what was going to happen in the future is because of God. Now, that is a chain of inferences, and I'm—actually, there's a video I'm working on right now, which I have uh, cleverly titled Compound Inference, that demonstrates the problem with putting one inference on top of another. You you have—I've I've gone ahead and I've granted way more than any reasonable person should in order to demonstrate that even if you had—like, I stand on stage and I make predictions about the future and read people's mind as part of my act— I am incredibly accurate. I can make amazing, detailed predictions about what an audience is going to do and show that I have done it. Now, the question then becomes, how did I do it? Was there a God that told me? Was there something else that told me? Did I have access to some knowledge base? Do I have a time machine? You can't narrow down. Was it trickery? You can't narrow down which one of those is the answer. But when we look at these things, the likelihood that I use trickery seems to be far more likely than many of the other explanations. And if you think that I'm actually getting message from a god, that's something you'd have to demonstrate, not just assume or infer.
2: Yes, uh, point taken. And I think it would have to be up to each person to, to decide. Well, that's um, garbage. Based, based
0: of course, of course, every person well, yeah. gets to to decide. Every person gets to decide for themselves. But the issue is, who's right the fact that everybody gets to decide, I mean, there are people who decided that white people are better than black people. There are people who have decided that the earth is flat. Does that mean that they're remotely right? Does it mean that we should consider their opinions equal to those? Is it? Does it mean that we have no way of evaluating what is true?
2: Well, may I pass um, just one small prophecy by you and see sure. what you think? Sure. Um, well... Well, in, uh, in Daniel, and uh, some people think that it's written at various different times, but let's, let's just say that it was written, you know, around about the time of Christ. Let's not even put it before the time of Christ. And, um,
0: Wait, so, you're saying the you book would, of Daniel was written around the time of Christ?
2: I, I'm saying that I'm not demanding that everyone believe it was written before. So um, I, I don't think that you would believe that Daniel was written at about five or 600 B.C.,
0: I don't think I'd have too massive a problem with that rough. Time. I don't it doesn't need to be dated anywhere near you know 300 or 30CE. I mean it's you know go ahead. Right.
2: Okay. so in the book of Daniel, um, we have a dream in Daniel chapter two, where we have this statue, and uh, by having a look at it, the statue, there's a head of gold and the head of gold represents Babylon. And if we follow through the kingdoms that come after, we see that there's Babylon, followed by Medo-Persia, followed by Greece, followed by the Roman Empire. And if we allow that that was uh, written at about 500 uh, or so BC, then that's a fairly accurate prediction of the kingdoms that would follow each other on planet Earth.
0: Bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> let's read. Let's read the actual passage because you just listed um, a number of civilizations by name in the order in which they occurred, and you're talking about a passage in Daniel where he has a dream about a statue with a head, and you think that this is—I I forget the exact phrasing you just used, but uh, prophetic. In any case, you think this is an uh, the dream is an accurate representation of what happened. So let's what chapter and verse. Give me chapter and verse. We'll pull it up together.
2: Um. Yes, yeah, so that would be Daniel uh, chapter two. Uh, just having a look here, and uh, near the beginning of Daniel chapter two. Do you have a preferred Bible version?
0: I'll just go with uh, King James because.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Um, and so we have we have the dream that occurs earlier uh, in in the chapter, and then. Uh, um, uh, if we come down um, to starting about verse 31 or so Daniel interprets what the what the dream means
0: right so it wasn't even it wasn't even Daniel's dream so that part' you, that's right it was, you, you kind of skipped over you you implied that Daniel had a dream but actually it was Nebuchadnezzar that had the dream and he asked Daniel to interpret it
2: yes yes that's correct it's a dream in the book of Daniel by Nebuchadnezzar
0: yeah And, um. So, so starting at verse 31. Here, I'll just read this. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out with hand, without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that they were iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces and became like the chaffs of summer threshing threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Now, that's the description of the dream. Yes. Yeah. So somebody dreamed about a statue uh, of of gold and brass and silver and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, the interpretation uh, is... For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory, and wheresoever, sorry, wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls in heaven hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So he's saying Nebuchadnezzar is this head of gold.
2: Yes. Okay. And after... Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom.
0: Yeah. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another kingdom of brass, which shall rule over the earth. And it's basically saying what you saw is a prediction that after your kingdom, there'll be another kingdom and another kingdom and another kingdom. Right? Yes. Doesn't that happen all the time throughout history
2: everywhere? Yes. And so uh, how is that remotely remarkable? Well, if we have a look down through these kingdoms, we see that we have the kingdom of of, of Medo-Persia, then the kingdom of of Greece, and then the kingdom after that will be Rome. And it's interesting how the legs were of iron, and Rome is kind of that iron kingdom that came forth uh, from Nebuchadnezzar.
0: Okay, I find this to be uh interesting. Absolutely indicative of people finding exactly what they're looking for. This is not any sort of prediction that I would consider to be specific or impressive. It's obviously prone to interpretation since we have Daniel interpreting, interpreting the dream of a king to begin with. And none of these, uh, things are, are named. So you're, you're basically, you have this limited set of information. And now you're going to try to find a way to piece it together with what we know happened afterwards. That's not a prophecy fulfilled. That is someone looking at the world and going, wow, I can make this fit. And it's, it's completely unsurprising when you consider that, as I, as you and I both agreed, this is the sort of thing that happens. Now, now if, but here's the, here's the worst part of it. You're God. Let's say you're God. And. Okay. And you want to set up something to convince David in 2018 that you are real and benevolent. So what you do is you have a king have a really weird dream and you send your guy down to interpret that dream in a way that is wholly unremarkable and will not be even subject to, to proof or confirmation for centuries. And that way, David, when he reads the Bible, can go through and say, ah, yeah, look, this kind of matches up. And yet you manage to get so many other things wrong, like the order of events in creation or whether or not we should own people as property. So this is an example where somebody's gone in and cherry picked something and said, you know what? This seems to predict what happened afterwards. And yet there's nothing remarkable in it. And there's no way to prove that it was a prediction made with foreknowledge. And if you could prove that it was a prediction made with foreknowledge, you couldn't prove how that person came by that foreknowledge. Is it that remarkable that somebody summoned before a king and asked to interpret their dream that this person would have said something that seems to pertain to the dream that could possibly be viewed as coming true and yet is absolutely unverifiable at the time? The king rewards Daniel for this uh, interpretation, even though he has no reason to believe that the interpretation is true. None. Because none of those things have happened in the course of this discussion. So somebody walks in and tells the king, hey, look, when your kingdom falls, there'll be another one after that, and another one after that, and another one after that. And I'm like, wow, that's the best interpretation of a dream I've ever heard. Congratulations. You are now a man of 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 measure. and And God is doing all of this. So that you'll have a justification to think that there's a benevolent God.
2: Well, um, there's also another uh, dream in Daniel chapter seven. Now, this one here gives very little detail, and Is it really isn't enough to believe anything? Then, then,
0: okay, uh, why would you go? Why would you go to a less compelling argument after the first one?
2: All right. Well. Um, because the, the, the Dreaming Daniel chapter 7 is actually very, very specific. If we take Daniel chapter 7 and 8, they're incredibly specific. Does it have dates? <laughs> yes, it, it has it has a time period that is met precisely to the year. Well, what humor are you, it looks like. Okay. Okay. Well, in Daniel chapter seven, um, we have this idea of kingdoms, one coming after the another, also repeated, except this time, instead of being represented as metals in a statue, it's represented by different beasts. And so there's, there's a lion with wings. Um, there's, there's a bear. There's, there's a cheetah and then there's, um, an, a terrifying beast. And those four beasts line up with four metals. <laughs> well, they do sound a bit that way. Uh, that line up with the four metals in the statue. And once again, we come through um, uh, Babylon, Medo Persia, Greece, and Rome. Um, now, this kind of understanding is uh, if you go to the city of Nuremberg, there's a public building there, and there's two entrances to the public building. If you look at the two entrances, above a public building, you'll actually see the the rulers of these four kingdoms and those four beasts there. So this is a very, very common understanding that uh, people shared for many, many centuries.
0: Does that have any bearing on whether or not it's true? No. But- no, then there's no reason to raise it, right? Because if there's something that has no bearing on whether or not something's true, raising it in a discussion about truth is essentially poisoning the well. It's an attempt to wring in credibility that's not deserved.
2: I wasn't meaning to do that. I was just well, trying to show I'm that not, this is not just my personal understanding. That's sure, all. Sure, I understand uh, that. I wasn't the, trying to get any thing. authority on that. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I don't want to get any authority from that, though. Um, so when you get to the fourth beast, you would think, oh, kingdom, 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 kingdom maybe another kingdom, but instead the fourth beast has ten horns on it, which says are the next, so that fourth beast is then supplanted by ten kings or ten kingdoms. And incredibly, um, when Rome falls in about 476 uh, CE, we have that Rome wasn't supplanted by another kingdom as such, but it was divided more or less into ten kingdoms. And that's, that's a fairly specific Um, no it's not change
0: no it's not it's you see you're you're following this path and then what what if what if when rome had split then instead of being 10 which i'm not necessarily convinced is accurate anyway it just been two and then the one after that had split into 10
2: yes we'll see that that wouldn't
0: fit the prophecy. Oh, I bet, you, I bet you people would just say that one, one of them didn't count. The fact of the matter is you need a prophecy that predicts something so specific that it can only be answered by a single occurrence with no interpretation. And a God would know this. Any God that is using this method... Any God that is giving people dreams about beasts and statues and then having someone interpret them and then letting people uh, a millennia later go back and see if they can massage things to fit it's been doctorate. is a jackass and not very bright. Because if the purpose is to show that you exist and to guide people to an understanding that you're a benevolent God who's here, why not just talk to people?
2: Um. Well, he has talked to people Prove in, it. in past, if my Prove understanding it. is correct. Prove it. Well, uh, well, this is what this uh, prophecy is about.
0: He hasn't. About he hasn't talked to me. He hasn't talked to me, and until he does, he's not worth five minutes of my time.
2: If we can go through a few more specifics, it also says that three of those kingdoms would be uprooted by another kingdom. That is not just only a civil power that's also religious, and if we go back to around about four seventy six a d after Rome divided up, we see that a religious power came to to the fore, which was the pontifical power um because in one way, um, the Roman civil power got overthrown, got superseded by the uh, Rome religious power. Did, before did, the did, Rome did,
1: uh, did the universe end with Rome, or was there anything after
2: that? No, there's, there's, it, Rome got divided up into about ten kingdoms.
0: About ten? I thought it was um, exactly ten.
2: Well, ten kingdoms, and then. And then uh, three of them got uprooted by a religious power. So if we have a look at that historically, yeah. Um, so in, four, in, in, in um, 538...
0: We, we are uh, completely wasting time because you've already acknowledged that you have no way to demonstrate that there was actually foreknowledge and that it actually came from God, correct?
2: An understanding of this prophecy does...
0: It's not prophecy just because you call it prophecy. I started at the very beginning of the call pointing this out. I granted everything I could possibly grant to show that even if there was a, a specific prophecy that actually turned out to be true, you still don't have any sort of evidence or mechanism to show how and why that person wrote that. Did they know about the future and how did they know about the future? You have no way of showing that. It's just what you believe.
2: Um, well, I do believe that if people can tell the the future accurately uh, in, in sort of like for hundreds of centuries, that that does show something. Oh, actually, I don't see any prophecy, accuracy there.
0: I't not only do I see any accuracy, but the, the longer the time is between the interpretation or between the prophecy and the event, the more uh, likelihood it is to come true. Hey, here's a prophecy for you. The United States will the United States will elect a woman as president.
2: Um you would have to say the next president of the United States would be a woman. <laughs> Funny <laughs> well, you, how you, you want, want specifics high standards now
1: for, for Matt's prophecy, yeah. but yeah. you've got low standards for yours.
2: <laughs> yeah. So with the
1: prophecy, we have specifically you, you, four kingdoms and then next. So what, the did they name the date. kingdoms? Did they name the dates? I you know, uh, animals are not kingdoms. Materials and statues are not kingdoms.
2: Well, in Daniel, it says that the animal, the beast, is a kingdom. That's that's what it actually says. If if you, uh, I don't, it, it does say the a kingdom. <laughs>
0: As I pointed out earlier, Daniel reads like the ravings of a madman, as does Revelation. And this sets all of these things in the context of interpretation. There's no way for you to demonstrate this. And it is, by definition, unreasonable for you to reach the conclusion that the best explanation for this convergence of of a supposed prediction and event is that God knows the future and exists. You can't – when we when we want to say how did this happen, how did this person write something that we think came true, we list candidate explanations. Ah, he had trickery. He was the doctor. He had a time machine. Uh, he guessed and got lucky. He made predictions that weren't particularly uh, specific. And centuries later, people went back and looked and said, ah, oh, yeah, well, if you interpret it this way, then it came true. Uh, those are all candidate explanations because we know all of those things can happen the candidate explanation that you've chosen is one that we don't know can happen you have you have by definition leaped to the one explanation for which we do not have any examples of it ever being a correct explanation
2: well that would be under the assumption that uh, there is no supernatural
0: no sir no but sir no sir offices. no sir no 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 sir it's not under any assumption it's not under an assumption. You are, off, you are suggesting that the best explanation is one that has never shown to be correct. I don't have to deny the supernatural or anything else. There is no point in history in which God did it has been demonstrated to be the correct
2: explanation. Um, well, that's where you and I would disagree. And that's why uh, you're wrong. And that's, that's, that's fair enough.
0: It's fair enough. We disagree.
1: We disagree. Before we go on, yeah, uh, isn't there some sort of Bible prophecy about uh, the kingdom of um, um, um Abraham and his line going forever?
0: No, his descendants will become as numerous as the stars. Oh, not forever.
1: Not forever. Okay.
0: There are way more stars. You still
1: make way more stars. But we're not done yet. Yeah, I think he it's, hung up on somebody that did yeah, call back. That
0: was actually uh <laughs> it's an accident. But my movie. my call screener app evidently is not refreshing. Uh, so we'll try that again.
1: Yeah, the, the the prophecy stuff gets tiresome pretty
0: quick. Well, it's it's here's the thing. And this is what I tried to demonstrate. If you were God, this is one of the chapters in the book deals with prophecy, the the, the If I Were God book what is my goal? Hey, I want to give people information so that they can have a reasonable foundation to believe in me. And my method for doing this is to give somebody a dream and then ask somebody else to interpret that dream in such a way that if we kind of squint one eye and lean a little to the left, we can look back 700 years later and see that, oh yeah, that kind of lines up. That's actually pretty good at the and and there is no reasonable way at the end of that trail of thought to reach the conclusion that you know what the best explanation is that God did this
1: well, and there's nothing remarkable in this dream right it's it's uh, you know if if he came down and explained quantum mechanics to us in a way that worked out that would be that'd be pretty impressive right yeah we'd still we still wouldn't be sure it was a god, but it'd be hell of a lot more impressive than this
0: stuff. <laughs> it, 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 it's frustrating because, it's, so, David, not, I, I'm, this is not about IQ, this is not about intelligence or smarts or anything else. This is about having a sound epistemology. This is about the, the tools of skepticism and critical thinking. The, because it's very easy, incredibly easy, especially if you're raised in a church, to say, look, here's what it says in Daniel and here's something that matches it. Yeah. Holy cow. Only God could have known. And as long as you're already in the mindset that God is... A reasonable explanation for things, then it's, that is the way it is. It's like, oh, it's when I debated Michael Kona on the resurrection, he spent all his time trying to argue from floating trash can lids and Ouija boards that the, that the universe has a spiritual aspect to it. And he did all of that so that he could kind of smuggle in the resurrection because then it would seem more reasonable. The thing is, the debate wasn't about how the resurrection happened. It was about whether or not the resurrection happened. And if the debate is about whether the resurrection happened, then all of this handwork waving about supernatural and Ouija boards. And that's all irrelevant because the only thing you have to show me to convince me that a resurrection occurred is here's a person well documented that this person's dead. Preferably I would like to check it out. You know, some or at least uh, reasonable doctors that some period of time uh, beyond which people don't uh, recover. And then the person gets up and walks in. He even went to the thing of having the person's head cut off. And if they walked in the room afterwards, uh, You know, with their head back on, would I then believe in the supernatural? And I said, no, but I would believe that somebody who I thought to be dead was now alive. Uh, how it happened is a second, second, a separate issue. Separate thing, right. It's, it's weird that, you know, at the end of this, it's just like, well, I'm, I, I, I have seen no evidence anywhere that God did it has been demonstrated to be the correct explanation.
1: Right. Well, and the, the caller the, the, the often use ahead.
0: explanation,
1: but, but not a correct
0: one. Yeah. And yet the caller seems to think that, oh, it has been shown. Right. So because from now on. pointed point at a mystery and say, God did it. Instead <laughs> of calling to tell me that you believe in a benevolent God, which we never really did get to get to. Uh, yeah. Boy. Uh, we
1: if, went down the rabbit hole pretty <laughs> quick.
0: <laughs> if the issue is why do you believe that that a God exists and you're just like, oh, well, it's prophecy and God has been the correct explanation. No, it hasn't. That's the that's the part where we need to start. Dan Barker has a pretty good book on the you know the God
1: of the Bible and his character and yeah. So uh, yeah, read read that one. <laughs>
0: it, it's it, it's funny for me because even when I was a believer, looking at Daniel and Revelation and seeing these things that people were holding up as prophecies, um, it, it's a lot of cherry picking. It is a lot of interpretation. And then you have, like, the author of the book of Matthew was so fond of prophecy that he even invented some out of whole cloth for Jesus to fulfill. And it's one of those things of we have no mechanism to demonstrate how a prediction came true. God should know that. Right. So why is God running around, I will prove it to you with prophecies? I will, it's like saying, you know, uh, I will prove it to you through your fields. Your feels are proof of nothing other than that you have feels, but I'll just make you feel it, and that'll be proof. That's not a smart God. That's not a God that understands how things should be proven. Yeah. It's certainly not a God that designed the human brain.
1: It's like this all-powerful God coming down and pulling a quarter from behind your ear.
3: (laughs) 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 All
0: right. Enough enough really bad magic. We have, uh, is it Juan in Topeka?
3: Yes, sir. It's Juwan. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, Juwan. How are you?
3: I'm doing well, Matt. Thank you for asking. Matt and Don, thank you guys for taking my phone call. I oh, appreciate sure. it.
0: Absolutely. What do you got for us?
3: I'd like to know if it's possible to have a dialogue with you about getting some perspective on the God of the Old Testament's behavior, maybe practicing them just some discernment and questions that we've all asked about um, some of the things that it's written that God does. Maybe we can get some perspective on it. I'd so be okay.
0: Well... The thing is, let's say that we have this and you and I come to an agreement that the character of of the God of the Old Testament is not nearly as bad as I think he is. Like, I'm assuming that would be your goal, unless you think that that God is an immoral thug.
3: Well, I hope you're not saying that I'm hoping to have this discussion with you to then turn around and say, Batcher, the God of the Bible is real. It's not meant to do anything. No, 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 no,
2: no.
0: (laughs) No, I'm just saying, okay, here let me, let, me, let me solve this the easy way. I think the God of the Old Testament is a fictional, infantile, immoral thug. I'm assuming you disagree.
3: Well, even if I do disagree or not, we can possibly look at the Bible. And with your your opinion on God, maybe we can we can apply that then to the Bible, and uh, I can understand your opinion. Maybe I can have an opinion that you can uh, understand, and I can get some insight into why you believe what you believe about the God of the Bible.
1: Well, um, this is a little like you know arguing about Star Trek characters. Yeah, that's motivation. exactly
0: where I was going to go. <laughs> is there any reason we wouldn't have a discussion about whether or not Thanos was right to snap his fingers and wipe out half of the universe? I'm sorry, I have no idea who you're talking about. Ah, Avengers Infinity War. Um, he gets hold of the Infinity Gauntlet and his, his goal is to wipe out half of this. And he has what he thinks are noble reasons, but yet he's the villain of that. So we could have a big conversation about whether or not he's a, he's doing the right thing or not, how, how immoral he is. Um, maybe in, in, if we don't want to go down that route, um, we could talk about Lord Voldemort and whether or not his views about pure blood and mud blood were, were valuable. We, I don't think we do that on the show because there are plenty of gods proposed that I would argue are not the immoral thug that we see in the Old Testament. And I don't think they exist mm-hmm. either. And I don't see any reason to spend time talking about their character unless there's a demonstration that they exist.
3: Gotcha. It, it wouldn't be to maybe demonstrate that they're not the immoral thug.
1: Well, you know, uh, it's he, kind of a, it's he, a, a the literary... The call dropped.
0: D- we didn't touch anything. The call dropped.
1: It's a literary discussion more than anything else.
0: And th- this is why I was saying. At the end of the day, if you manage to convince me that the God of the Bible had good, sound, moral, even benevolent reasons for all of the things he ordered and all the things he did, then the only thing you've achieved is to convince me that a fictional character had good reasons for this.
1: In his fictional universe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I mean I I know he he dropped the call and I, I, I'm hoping that's him calling back in, but uh it's yeah, hard it'd be to nice tell. to be able to finish it up. I don't think it is.
1: Yeah, we, we we'll lost have to, him. We'll personally. have to move on. Um
0: we'll go with John in Panama City, Florida. You're on with Matt and Don.
4: Hey, how's it going? Yeah, not Good. too bad. What's up? So um so uh first wanna shout out to my friend Wes. He told me to call into the show. I don't know if he's listening right now, hey Wes. but uh
0: okay. Hey Wes
4: <laughs> Yeah, he's he's uh yeah, he's promoting your stuff, yeah. Okay. So I had like just watching your show, I had like a thousand things I wanted to bring up. But uh the main thing I wanted to bring up was uh you were just discussing the Bible. Yeah. And I wanna know how much of the Bible do you think could possibly be true? Like, how much do you think could align with the secular records of history?
1: You're talking about a historical um, aspect, or the philosophical, or, or the like. Well, moral could or?
4: Jesus have existed? Could Jesus have existed? Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, are these people who could have existed?
0: Oh well, I so on the on the question of Jesus's historicity, I. I don't have any problem with the notion that there may have been a person at the center of that. I'm not a mythicist. When it comes to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, it, well, I don't have I mean, the notion that somebody may have existed like that is not a problem. What we do know, though, is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't write the gospels that their names are attributed to. Those are anonymous texts and those are traditional authorship. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John become irrelevant. Whoever the author of those books were, um, was, was relaying a story. Uh, and there are elements of, of any of those stories that are clearly true. I mean, you know, you talk about real places and everything else. Um, there are elements of the story that I have no problem with the idea that they could possibly be true, even if there's no way to demonstrate it. And there are other things that uh, I see no good reason to think they could ever be true, like miracles.
4: Well, for example, uh, Paul is, um, no, granted, this is uh, not something I could point you to a book on right now. Uh, just side note in my mind um, before I get to the next thing I wanted to discuss. Paul is mentioned in secular texts, so is Jesus. Um, and I would, I would ask Jesus that to do is, my homework, and then call back in. Yeah, and, you,
0: sh- you probably should uh, because Jesus isn't mentioned in any contemporary secular texts. Nothing written during the time that he written re-
4: from two thousand years ago. Contemporary. I'm sorry. Well, is anything written 2,000 years ago considered contemporary?
0: Yes, contemporary with him. If he was alive from, from zero to 33, uh, then that would be the period where contemporary authors would be writing, not two, three, four hundred years later. So, like, right. if, I not, book, today, if I wrote a book, if I wrote a book, if I, if I wrote a book about, if I wrote a book, about, if I, yet. holy fuck, if I wrote a book about Elvis, that's not contemporary because Elvis is dead. But
1: did you overlap with True. Elvis? Did you know, did you, were you able to see Elvis? Now,
0: that's, that's some of the questions. My account of Elvis is probably going to be more accurate and more reasonable because I have access to sources who knew Elvis than somebody a hundred years from now will be. But neither of them are actually contemporary. And the further we are removed from the events, the less credence we put. And, um, Jesus, no, no specific event from Jesus' life is recorded by any contemporary. And even Paul's writings are aren't contemporary, and the Gospels aren't contemporary. They were written afterwards. That doesn't mean that there weren't people there who knew these stories or were familiar with these stories. But we're not talking about eyewitnesses' accounts, and we're not talking about things that can be verified.
1: True.
4: All right.
1: Um, and I, I don't have. An I'm going to have to do
4: a little bit of homework. Like the the uh, next thing I wanted to now this, this was this was. Um, more of a, a fun thing I had in mind. Are you familiar with the concept of steel manning? Yes. Could that, you steel man theism for me, and then deconstruct it from there?
1: Maybe, maybe you should tell the audience what that
4: steel
0: is. Steel manning is taking the opponent's position and constructing the best actual case for it, rather than straw manning, oh. which is to construct oh. something flimsy you can knock down. Um...
1: You want us to to turn our intellect towards Satan.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Having done this many times and having been on the opposite side for, you know, more than 20 some odd years, uh, the problem is is that I don't know of any way to—well, if I were to steal man theism— Yeah, not
4: necessarily Christianity, but the belief that there is a God.
0: I can't do it without—without— recognizing the fallacies in the actual argument, because I, I have yet to be presented. Yeah,
4: exactly. Yeah. Like, like present the steel man version of the argument for theism and then knock it down.
0: Well, like, that,
4: what is the most, that's what I've done for 15. For
0: that's what it. Do. Yeah. Sure. At, at the end of the day, the best arguments for a, a God tend to boil down to to essentially arguments from ignorance, that we have no other explanation, therefore God is the best explanation. Those are the ones that are the most convincing and compelling people, um, along with their personal experience of, hey, I was in church and we were all singing and I felt euphoric, and therefore that's the Holy Spirit. There's no actual connection, no way to demonstrate a connection. It is just, this is what I became convinced of. Now, the problem is, for theism uh, and for most Stripes of theism, and, and for even the arguments that I just presented, there's no way to show that that the position is false. They, these, these are essentially unfalsifiable positions, and I I don't know that there's any real way to steelman them. All right, I, or at sure. least the attempt to steelman them still results in obviously flawed arguments. you think
4: it's only possible to strawman it.
0: No, I'm not, av- I'm, I'm.
1: Like, even if you're trying to
4: craft we, metal. We want to have a promise.
0: honest discussion and engage I'm not straw manning. People are saying they believe in a God and they have reasons and I'm addressing those reasons and showing where there are flaws. That's not straw manning. Straw manning would be if I said Christians are stupid and think there's a bearded man up in the sky who's going to help them win football games. That would be a straw man because that is not foundational to almost any view of Christianity or God and it would be character. something – yeah, it would be a character that I put up there specifically to get rid of and that's not what I'm doing. I'm addressing what people say they believe and why they say they believe it, and pointing out what, where I do agree and where I don't.
1: All right.
4: All right. Well, that's all I got for you right now. I don't want to take up any more time on the show, but uh, well, we thanks like, for the discussion. Like free
1: to call back and and hit us with some absolutely. of the other stuff. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Okay. okay. Right. Take it easy. Thank Thank you. Thanks.
0: Bye. I'm confused. Yeah. It's one of those things where you know. Hey, your friend had you call in, and I know what his friend was expecting. Um, <laughs> but if you if you aren't calling in to ca- to tell us what you believe and why? Um, yeah, these meta
1: conversations are not so interesting. And
0: well, it could have been it could have been just a genuine. Let me let me see who these guys on this show are and what because you know we could have been the kind of jackasses that were oh there's a bearded man in the sky who's going to help you win football games type thing, or it could you know we could kind of know what we're talking about. But people call in about all different... It's not just Christians calling in, although it's predominantly Christians. Yeah. And, and it and it's weird for me because I'm sitting here as somebody who was a believer for years and uh, as somebody who cares about the truth. And so what I want is, here's a good reason to believe something. Yeah, yeah. And so when you ask me to steal men, uh a position... Uh, it, with a little bit of study, I could probably, I, well, certainly I could play the role of the other side. I could come up, I can do, you know, the uh, Kalam cosmological argument word for word, verbatim from memory. And if someone is convinced that that is the best argument for the existence of God, then I have just steel manned it. However, I've also presented the rebuttals to that as well. And at the end of the day, um, if you're calling in for me to do both sides of the argument, uh, I love me and I talk a lot. <laughs> But you don't get to saddle me with both sides of the debate. Uh, it's, yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you, what, what threw me a little bit is one of the things that's really impressed on me is just the complete variety of beliefs. Um, you know, there there is no such thing as a Christian because everybody's got their own spin and their own interpretations and all that. and And it's not like there is one thing out there to argue for. It's, 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 it's the scattering
0: of, of stuff. And, um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't either. Let's, uh, let me see if I can take care of this one pretty quick. We've got Theo in Arizona. How are
5: you? I'm very doing very well, Mr. Dylan Hunting. How are you doing, Mr. Baker? Good. Well, um, I recently came through a, a few discussions. I actually watched a video from Matt Delhante several years ago in regards to the default position, in regards to the analogy of the gumball analogy. And I also saw an updated video, video you did, Matt, about 2000. Uh, th- 2000- What's that, sir?
0: I did one last month or so.
5: Yeah, and I noticed how you you well. There's also one you did in 2013 in relation to an updated discussion on how you were using a different analogy of guilty until proven innocent and that default position. But I've been seeing over there's an update.
0: There's an update to that one that I just released on my Patreon last month, which moves things out to the point of view of the district attorney because it makes it a little easier to see whether or not the issue is whether or not we have sufficient evidence to bring charges to put before a jury.
5: Gotcha, sir. Well, there has been a number of theistic individuals I would co- um, quantify on YouTube, for example, that have made uh, a different analogy in regards to the unwritten rule of baseball of uh, the run, of the tie goes to the runner. And one of the main arguments I've been hearing some of these theists make is that if you have a default position, it's a form of cowardice because you choose not to pick one side or the other. And one of the issues Okay, then I'm a coward, but,
0: then I'm a coward, but I'm not going to fucking be wrong.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, the, the only reason why I, I wanted to ask your opinion on this, Mr. Delahunty, and, and you, of course, Mr. Baker, is I came up with the. There's two analogies I came up with myself that kind of debunks, or that's a wrong word, or really cr- is critical in regards to that, to that analogy. And the first one that comes to my mind is we have police officers that are trained all the time or in regards to how to react in regards to a dangerous situation, in reference to using their weapons as a last resort in regards to, that, and that's a default position. And it sure also, doesn't
0: seem that way lately.
5: Uh, I I would agree with you, Mr. Dillahunty, but you know that's typically we, that's the expectation we would have among. Sure. Uh, so cring- so
0: what what's the analogy?
5: Well, the analysis goes is into, this is the, this is the analogy that a gentleman put out. He goes, suppose there's an umpire on a baseball game. It's the bottom of the ninth in the World Series. There are two outs and the score is tied. A ground ball is hit and the runner dashes to home plate. The shortstop initially fumbles the ball, but the third baseman picks it up and throws it to home. The catcher catches the ball while the runner slides into home plate. Now there are some that are, um, I'm sorry. Now there is one thing sure that either the runner is either safe or out. The runner says that you um, that he is safe, but he offers no proof. The catcher says that the runner is out, and still offers no proof. Um, the umpire, who is considered the atheist in this analogy, well, that's true. Announces that he doesn't. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> no, he just he simply announces he has no
0: determination. And basically, um, that's not that's not the case. That's not remotely the case. I don't even have to know sports ball to know that this is not remotely the case. Absolutely, there is a rule that the tie goes to the runner if if the umpire is unable to make a call. Basically, you are safe until determined out. In the same way that you are innocent until proven guilty, but the fact that like let's say i'm not watching it and nobody's looking i don't i am the, i'm the umpire and i didn't see the play then the rules are such that i need to err on the side of innocence or safety that does not mean that i'm convinced that the the runner was actually safe it means i'm acknowledging that the default position is that a tie goes to the runner maybe i blinked maybe i'm not sure maybe but in that case, as the umpire, because I'm in a game, I am forced to make a ruling. When it comes to the issue of whether or not there's a God, I am never forced to make up my mind. I have, in fact, uh, tentatively made up my mind. Not only am I not convinced that there's a God, I'm convinced that there isn't a God, for most normative definitions, and anything that'd be useful. And I, I think that this little playing around with, oh, we put the atheist in the position of the umpire, the analogy fails because... I don't ever have to make a decision on God, and if I do, I can change my mind. Once the game's over, the umpire has no recourse to go and change his mind and say, you know what, I think in hindsight that guy was actually out. The game's over. I don't have to make up my mind. It's colorful and dramatic, though.
5: (laughs) Well, well, see, one of the things that came to my mind in regards to my own analogy, other than the police officer, is... If they're making that discussion and talking point in relation to a default position, couldn't that same supposition be applied to God as well? Because maybe I'm wrong here, but and if you look at God supposedly has this grand plan for everyone, he has a default position, which is his grand plan. So if, if, if his, his determination is having a default position as a form of cowardice or cowardice, wait, wait, wait. wouldn't that also be regarded toward God as well?
0: Now, so this whole thing about—I I don't know why this is so hard to explain the default position. The default position is not— a default between two positions, it is a default position with respect to one position. The one proposition, some God exists, the default position is to not accept that until such time as there's sufficient evidence. And here's another proposition, no God exists. The default position is to not accept that until such time as the evidence warrants it. Going to the baseball, the, the runner is out. The default position is to not accept that until such time as the runner has been shown to be up. Oh, the runner is safe. Well, in baseball, the rules specifically say that the runner is safe until proven. It's a judgment call, and it is based on evidence. And so people are claiming that God is guilty of existing, and I'm sitting on a jury, and I can find God not guilty of existing without actually believing that God doesn't exist in the same way that I can find somebody not guilty of murder and not think that they're completely innocent of this. The, the, the problem with all of these is that people try to view two mutually exclusive positions and say one of these two has to be the default position and they're wrong. The default position is to reject both of those until the, until the time as they're warranted or you can still do the, you know, uh the rules of baseball have the tie goes to the runner thing, or I actually have to make a decision. You know, like i Don's gonna flip a coin and he wants me to call it heads or tails. And I could sit here and say, well, I don't know which one it's gonna be. I don't know which can I watch it first? Because that's what a skeptic would do. Uh, but at some point at some point, the nature of this game is that I have to make a decision before that coin hits the table and lands. And even in that scenario, I can just refuse to play.
5: Uh, if, I would, if I may ask Mr. DelHuntz, you yeah, your opinion on this. I and mean, again, I could be wrong here, but if someone had that position, wouldn't that also be what position? I can light, uh, have the
0: position that
5: there's only two choices?
0: They're wrong. Wouldn't that be... They, they, are, agree, they are absolutely demonstrably, moronically fucking wrong. I ju- it's really... It's really easy to demonstrate that I don't have to be convinced of either position. I do not have to be convinced that a God exists. I do not have to be convinced that no God exists. I can be in a position where I am not convinced of either of those.
5: Well, the the only thing I was going to mention, Mr. Delaney, wouldn't that be considered a black and white fallacy in regards to the reasoning? I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that. Or A false dichotomy, like they only have they, they view it as only one of two choices. I mean, isn't that considered a logical fallacy as well?
0: Well, yeah, sure. That if they say there's only two positions when there's three, they're wrong. Absolutely.
5: Uh, I, I really appreciate you, your feedback on this, you know, That's sure. the only question I had. So, I do want to mention in reference to your original, the very first call you had from that gentleman from Australia. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness in the Millerite cult. For 22 years, yeah, and I wish I could have a conversation with that individual in regards to the multiple false predictions I've experienced firsthand in relation to that religious uh, sect. So, well, we yeah. do
1: have a blog, and there yeah. is will be a posting for this show not too long after, and maybe the two of you can uh, both meet up there and hash it out.
5: Uh, Definitely, sir. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Uh, Dillahunty, Mr. Baker, and thank you so much for your feedback, sir.
0: Thank you. Have a good day. You
5: guys have a great evening.
0: I feel old. I feel old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say. <laughs> Mr. Baker, when you showed up here today, I wasn't sure that you would actually be able to do today's show. All <laughs> uh, right. How, are you wearing your depends? A little
1: slow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need to Sorry. get some suspenders or something. And
0: we have Jane in Columbus. Thanks for waiting. You're
6: Hi, on. how are you guys tonight?
1: Just fine. How are you?
0: I I I don't even know I don't even know how to answer that.
1: It's it's nice to have a female voice for once on this show. <laughs> what was that? Hope you guys are having a
6: blessed day out there so far.
0: So far. Not as far as I can tell. <laughs> what you got for us?
6: Okay, well, um um First of all, the the screening questions were very interesting, so thank you for that.
0: I have um, no idea what question I have no idea what questions people are asked when they're screened. Okay, but
6: um, so I just want to state I am a pantheist, which means I just as a as you would say a default that I just generally believe that a higher power exists.
0: Have you got any reason for that, or is that just like a
1: feeling?
6: That's just me personally.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I know it's you personally. I was just wondering if there was a reason or if you just kind of felt that way.
6: I've always been spiritual for, you know, my whole life. I didn't grow up in a religious household. I wasn't indoctrinated. I kind of came into it by my own merit, and I have multiple belief systems, so... I don't hold a position in, okay, well, Jesus was the founder, or this person was the founder. I just believe that there have been many messengers and teachers. But one thing I've been having a problem with is it seems like modern Christianity, and no offense, because I see the Bible as more of an inspirational thing. Aside from the hateful texts in there like sure.
0: about slavery. If we dump all the garbage and just keep some, you know, nice things about a few turds. Hey, turn the other cheek. That's really inspirational.
6: Okay. Yeah. I mean the morality and all that.
0: The morality is abhorrent. The morality of the Bible is vile and disgusting and repugnant.
6: My Okay. You know, I respect your viewpoints. You know, I like listening to these things. I like Richard Carey debates. I like Christopher Hishon. I can respect all their debates. And I love hearing these things, even though I have my own position and personal opinions on these things. Well,
0: I think if you respected Um, somebody's position, you'd share it. I think what you mean is that you respect my right to have a view that differs from yours. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I respect that right too but I don't respect the position of the people who are disagreeing. Go ahead.
6: But um, my thing is, is people, you know, devout, especially the evangelical culture, they are so convinced that Jesus is God. But when you read through the Bible, it only states in maybe one or two places that he may imply that.
0: How many do you need?
6: Nowhere. Nowhere else does he imply it.
0: I and the Father are one. What more do you need? The guy was killed for putting himself co-equal with God, according to the book.
6: But my thing is, is that's more of a parable. That could be like it's not a parable. I and my Father. I and my Father are one.
1: Well, the divinity of Jesus is a relatively late
0: thing, right? If you, to look on me is to look on the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. You know, whatever. The thing is, you're faulting someone for sincerely accepting what their holy book says. And yet, I would argue that your reasons for what you believe are less sturdy, are less sturdy than the people you're objecting to
6: you know why is it you know they can't just see him you know because the bible was written after the time of jesus yeah. and why you know the
1: bible's kind is of a Rorschach it? test
0: people people bring to it what they want but there's more to it than that there there is a a history of orthodoxy and doctrine and if you are raised in that and you think you have a biblical foundation here's the thing and and i don't mean this to be insulting to you jane uh, my thing is, I can stand up to Bible-believing Christians and point out that they have no good evidential foundation to believe what they believe. But the same thing applies to you, except that you have even less because you don't have any sort of revelation you don't have the the ability to to land back on claims of prophecy you just have this warm fuzzy and you kind of let me take bits and pieces of everything you've constructed a religion of your own making based on how you feel and you can you're never going to make headway uh, against them that way because
6: and it's not like I haven't read scientific journals that had doesn't That doesn't mean I don't understand about cosmology or anything like that. You know, I just by default believe in a higher power.
0: Well, I don't think it's by default. I think that belief is something that you have to become convinced of, and you can become convinced for good or bad reasons. And the reasons you've given so far are bad. Now, the problem here is that if you believe something for bad reasons and somebody else believes something for bad reasons and you're the one that's criticizing them, uh, why why can't they just look at Jesus the way I do? And they're gonna say the same thing. why can't Jane look at Jesus the same way we do? She just doesn't know, she hasn't read, she hasn't you know blah blah blah. Um neither one of you I read been... my
6: Bible every day. I've, I read it daily. I okay. I read I I read Psalms and Proverbs a lot and I, I but if Christianity and I guess this is what I I was trying to get at, not why I believe what I believe, but why is it if Christianity is supposed to be the religion of love, people are starting to see it as a hate thing? Like,
0: because it's what? not the religion of love; it never was, never will be. That's not what Christianity is. Even as a Marketing. Southern Southern Baptist, it's about God's love for for human beings. It's not about you being uh, uh, loving. Christians are, are commanded to yeah, right. Repre-
6: so, if they're commanded,
0: you, you, you wait, 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 wait. You just said, yeah, right. What is it that they're commanded? Because I hadn't finished. So what is it you think they're commanded to do?
6: Okay, so if if they're supposed to accept Jesus, and there's, you know, I believe Jesus may have existed, you know, even though there's a stopping point when it comes to historical evidence for him outside of written sources.
0: You are now 10 miles away from the question I asked what i'm trying to explain oh. is that you have a particular oh. view of the bible and christians have a particular view of the bible yeah. now the, the the issue here is how do we tell who's right well if your foundation is based on what you feel and what you think then you have no foundation if they have if they have a foundation that's based on what's written It could be wrong, but at least it's stronger than, and sturdier, and it's external to them. It's not just their opinion.
1: Or or at least some sort of historical dogma.
0: But if the, if the, if the reality is that I can sit here as the third party and point out that both you and Christians have beliefs that you don't have good reasons to hold, then I'm I'm in the, I'm in the better position. It would be silly for me to go debate someone who talks about faith in Christ and have them say that well you wear your lucky socks and your lucky shirt and you go buy lottery tickets every week i don't <laughs> i i don't do that but if that were the case they would be correct to point out hypocrisy because what i'm challenging is not the beliefs i'm challenging the justification for the beliefs yes okay
6: i can
0: i can't do that as a know. pantheist i don't see any reason for pantheism or panentheism or theism of any stripe
6: well, you're an atheist, and I I I, res- I respect your, your your stance on things, and you know, just I like I respect everybody else. But you know, it just seems like, you know, why are they becoming more hateful? You know, it seems like they're really trying to, especially with everything going on in the world. It seems like they're really trying to be, and if God says, "Oh, well come to me," and Except my spirit, which I think is what God is, you know, He isn't. You know, to me, Jesus was just. This a no
0: longer sounds like pantheism. But okay, he
6: was just. A, he was just a messenger. it
1: well, was just. I think teacher. some of the.
0: How if, do you know that
1: the recent uh, drama we've had with religious folks has largely been fear-based? They are. They are losing power. They are losing numbers, and they're afraid of that.
0: The world is getting better.
1: The world is getting better, and they and they're they're. And the back the words, beliefs are getting squeezed out.
0: Yeah. It, they, they are now waking up in a world where homosexuals can get married to each other.
1: And that's scary. They, for them. they
0: are waking up in a world where their religious leaders are telling them that they are the victims, that their religious liberties and freedoms are being infringed on, when in reality they're the ones that are doing the infringing. And when we stop them from doing it, when we take away the stick that they're beating people with, they want to whine and cry.
1: About their persecution.
0: They don't understand what they believe or why any better than you do.
6: And, you know, from what I get from the Bible, you know what what's taught, you know, from the, not the Old Testament, but the New Testament is that they are to be Christ-like.
0: Well, love sure, is an actual
6: word. Yeah. So if you're going to if be, you I If, you,
0: much in if you cherry pick verses, but let's say I was going to be Christ-like... Christ was a jackass too. Jesus, you know, let me go make my own scourge and rip through the temple and run out the money launderers. Uh, Let me say terrible things about the, I've come only to the house of Israel and blah, 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 and saying bad things about family. And I've done a whole verse by verse deconstruction of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's it's a mix. It's exactly what you'd expect. There's some good advice. There's some bad advice. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there to make people feel like they're victims. When the world turns against you, it's because you are righteous. Well, maybe it's because you're a dick. Maybe. And so people are using this and saying, "Oh, look, so many troubles. People are turned against me. It's Satan. Satan's coming after me because I'm so righteous and right with God." There was this guy. He's had five terms, I think, in in the Washington State uh, Representative. I think he's a representative. Um. I think I
6: might have heard about that. He's now,
0: he's now being watched, I guess, a little by the FBI because he wrote a book on, on, or a pamphlet or whatever on biblical war and how you need to kill the unbelievers and how you need to kill the, the boys. And basically he was just going down. He, you know what? He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong if he, what he wanted to write was what the Bible said he should do. He can cherry pick that shit just as easy as, as anybody else. And at the end of the day, if we're going to fix it, the thing that we have to do is get people to realize that they believe things for bad reasons, and that applies to you and pantheism as much as it does to Christianity. It's and just its just I, that I don't think you're probably as dangerous.
6: You know, and I think, you know, if, you know, I'm going to side with you in some aspects. I think that, you know, if the church is to survive, then they, you know, Christianity the church itself is going to survive we they need to embrace you know the changes around no what's going on
0: no not so sure because because if it's against their religious views to embrace it would be to become a heretic would be would be to be an apostate if you if you think that god is opposed to abortion and you're just like well you know I'm not gonna have one, but I'm fine living in a society that allows people to have one. You are no longer practicing the religion you believe. This, this is the thing that scares them. And, and it's not the only way for a religion to survive. You know what, you know how religions have tended to survive? By doing the thing that, that Islamic extremists are doing. By taking over governments. By imposing religious doctrine. By doing it, in some cases, By absolute force, but now we're a little more civilized, so we're just going to legislate your civil rights away because for whatever reason, despite the fact that Matt feels like he wakes up in bizarro world every day, they have the majority. People who think that the earth is six to 10,000 years old or perhaps flat or people who uh, believe in sacrificing animals on burnt altars even though we don't have to do it anymore, but once upon a time it was a good idea because God likes it. And people who think that you're born bad and that you inherit sin from other people and that what we can do is have Jesus give up uh, a mildly bad weekend and fix everything for everybody. The, The people who think like this are a problem But they're not the enemy. The ideas are the enemy. And going after those ideas, and and this applies, sorry to say, Jane, to pantheism, panentheism, all stripes of theism, everything that cannot be demonstrated to be real, that people are believing are real. And acting on behalf of, and legislating on behalf of, those things need to be expunged and I can, from society. I
6: can respect your opinions. I don't get offended easy. Trust me, I don't. Okay. You know, I have friends that are atheists, and it don't bother me. You know, they're still my friends, and you know, I get in heated debates that, once in a while. But
0: okay, hey, then, so- I want you. To, I want you to think about this because we're we're out of time, and parenting Belief is getting ready to start. So I'm going to wrap this up. Take the sentence you just said. And start substituting other things in for atheists. I have friends that are black and it doesn't bother me. I have friends that are gay and it doesn't bother me. Think about how that sounds. Because there's a hidden implication in there that there's something wrong with it, but you're personally gonna be okay with it. And that's garbage. I'm not okay with it, not remotely okay with it. I'm I'm fine. I have friends that are gay and black and atheist and Christian, blah, 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 and they're still my friends and everything else. But I wouldn't ever do this sort of well, I respect your opinion. I mean, it's kind of like the bless your heart crap that we hear in the South. Oh, bless your heart. Which really means, God, you're an idiot, but I love you anyway.
6: No, I don't believe that about people. I really do.
1: Well, one of the people. things we'd I like really to nudge you to do is to think about whether your beliefs are true and whether you have good reason to believe
0: them. And whether you care whether your beliefs are true, because evidently some people don't. And if you don't care, okay, fine. I I, I think everybody it can and does care when you finally get down to it. But if you care about whether or not your beliefs.
6: You know, I am not, just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not one of them where I'll just say, hey, I don't, I don't agree with you, but I still care about you. I'll say that. I don't have to, you know, I'll say, hey, I don't exactly agree with what you say, you know, or, you know, but I still, and I'll, I'll say, hey, you know what, I'm not an atheist, but. I respect your stance. I I have a boss that's an atheist, and I told him that, and okay. he told me why he's an atheist. So I
0: can. Well, I don't say, respect okay. your stance. I don't respect your position, not one but you're a bit. Nice person, but <laughs> I respect the person, and I respect your right to hold that position. But I don't remotely respect your position. That's. I mean, it may be a subtle little difference in language, but yes, it's true. I can respect and care about a person without agreeing with them, without, and, and I can absolutely despise their position. Uh, I have family members who have positions that I don't know if I could despise those positions more, and I will never tell them, I respect your position. What I will say is I respect your right to hold a different view from mine, but your position is repugnant. Not you. Well, yours is un- unjustified, as far as I can tell, but not not nearly as repugnant as is like the guy who's creating the Bible manual for killing people. But we've completely run out of time. I got to let you thank go. You I appreciate it, Jane. Uh, there's already callers lining up for parenting beyond belief. Don, did you have last words for today? No, thank you to our crew. They're hey, awesome. They are awesome, and the people out there on this other wall. We'll be back next week. I'll be back in. I don't know. Do we have check any announcements schedule. about dinner? Oh, it's here. It's always here.
1: It's always here. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: We don't go anywhere. You just come right down to the Freethought Library, 1507 West Caney Lane. Any atheist or atheist-friendly person is welcome to come down, hang out. Uh, Parking is at a premium. You may have to park around the corner. But we're here, and this is the atheist community of Austin, and you have a community here. Okay. And we're going to do what we can to make <laughs> humankind kind to some extent.